Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello, it's that time of the week where we sit down, strap ourselves in, take a deep breath, prepare for blast off in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan, welcome to the show that lets you explore the universe and everything beyond searching out those science secrets and then we kind of get you back in around about half an hour. This week we're chatting to a legend too, Professor Robert Winston. You might have heard of him. I reckon grown-ups that you know definitely have, because he's presented science on telly for years and years. And he's written books, too. He's got a new one out. It's called The Story of Science. Soap changed the world. Soap actually is a very important science. So we've been using soap for about 2,000 years, and the first soaps were made out of natural materials, mostly leaves of particular trees in North Africa. But now, of course, soap is universal. And, of course, we don't think about soap being important, but if you think about it, during the pandemic, soap was one of the most important things we had because we were able to kill the bacteria on our hands and therefore prevent the spread of infection. And we're checking in with our microbe friends, Benny and Mal. They are two tiny little organisms that are looking at big choices. And this week, we're looking at medical trials. Doctors and scientists are always trying to make treatments better, so they run clinical trials, research projects carried out in places like hospitals or clinics, where the main aim is to obtain knowledge that will help improve the healthcare of adults and children. Yep, they're like tests to make better medicines and create better treatments. All people, adults and children, can help by being tested on. And I've got your questions to answer. This week they're on breathing and phones. It's all on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. The company SpaceX managed to blast off a new rocket in a test flight over in Texas recently. It's 120 metres tall. Previously it blasted off in April before it exploded quite quickly. They say that this test flight went further and higher, but was cut short because of tech issues, and then it self-destructed. Now, all of this they are learning over at SpaceX, because the plan is to use a version of this rocket to land humans on the moon in a few years. And I think there's good and bad stuff with this. It's really good that we're out there exploring the universe. But it is a little bit bad when you think that maybe some of the money that's been spent and the fuel that's being burnt to get these rockets up to space could be used on some issues that we have down here with our environment on Earth. Speaking of environments on Earth, an experiment to test how mining on the seabed could affect life down there has revealed some strange impacts on jellyfish. Companies want to mine and dig at the bottom of the sea to collect precious minerals there, but marine scientists who made test runs on jellyfish in tanks They've said that they're very sensitive to environmental changes and that sand and rock from the seabed, it moves about and the jellyfish get stressed. So the experts warn that there will be consequences for changing the ecosystem down there. We need to remember, little decisions that we make 
on planet Earth or wherever we are can have big consequences for other animals in the ecosystem. And finally, two new zebra sharks have been introduced to an aquarium in Dorset in the UK, which could help save the species. Now, normally, these creatures are native to the Western Pacific and the Indian Oceans, half the world away. But ZZ and Rihanna arrive there from France and staff are hoping they'll breed so they get baby zebra sharks. And experts say this could help conservation by boosting numbers as they're currently endangered in the wild. And we've spoken about human impacts on creatures around us, but this is a really good one, right? We're doing what we can to help save the species. Brilliant work. Let's check in with Techno Mum then. One of our favourite gadget geniuses on the show. She knows all about technology and everything that we use every day to help make life a little bit easier. This week, we're learning all about energy efficiency, which is all about doing the same job but using less energy, which is much better for the environment. And machines all have an energy efficiency rating. So let's find out how to spot it with Techno Mum. Techno Mum Fast Files. Imagine you're back from the supermarket and are helping Dad to get the shopping in from the car. If you only took one thing in at a time, it wouldn't be the best use of your energy, would it? It would be much more efficient to, well, use a bag. Energy efficiency is all about working out ways to do the same job but using less energy. Engineers get pretty excited about energy efficiency because it not only saves money and precious resources, it's better for the environment too. Machines can be tested to see how energy efficient they are. If you've got a new washing machine or fridge freezer, or been in the sort of shop that sells them, you might have seen coloured stickers on the front, which shows their energy efficiency rating, with A, A+, or even A++ being the best. Be the worst. Why not have a look and see if your washing machine or fridge has an energy efficiency rating? Technomum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing knowledge. All right, let's get to your questions. And I I love this part of the show. My favourite thing that we do. I love discovering things, becoming a science detective to find out the answer to your questions. So do me a favour. If you have anything sciencey that you want answered on this podcast and you can star on it, so everyone knows it's you, get to funkidslive.com, find the Science Weekly page. You can record a message with your question. You can do it on the free Fun Kids app as well. Just say, hi, I'm Dan, and I want to know why flamingos are pink. Something like that, and I will answer for you. I tell you what, let's get to Bethan in Cornwall, who has asked a brilliant question, wants to know why do we breathe automatically? We breathe because every part of your body needs oxygen. Air fills your lungs. Oxygen then moves over to your bloodstream, which carries it around your body. It makes energy. The waste of that energy creates carbon dioxide, another gas, which you breathe out. So it's in, oxygen, out, carbon dioxide. Now, there are a couple of reasons why you breathe in automatically. Your brain is always getting signs and signals from all over, which looks at whether you need to breathe. There's a part of your brain called the medulla, which tells your lungs how to control the breathing. And actually, so it's got like a sensor in there that says, okay, maybe we need more oxygen. Maybe we need to get out the carbon dioxide. Here's what's amazing. You don't breathe because you need oxygen, really. That's not what makes you breathe. It's because you need to get out carbon dioxide. Your brain, this medulla, is monitoring the levels of that gas, carbon dioxide, in your body. And when it gets too much, it could be very bad for you. So you breathe out. And then what do you do? (gasps) 
Well, you've got to breathe in. So that's why we breathe automatically, Beth, and thank you so much. Next one, this is from Kyle, who is in Sydney, who wants to know, how do you make mobile phones and how do they work? Well, phones work by talking to each other and sending and receiving radio waves. Radio waves are the longest wave on the electromagnetic spectrum. These are waves of energy flying through the air all the time. And depending on how fast they're moving and how short or long they are, you might be able to see those waves as light. Or they could be used to send a text messages. So these phones are sending waves out in all directions, like dropping a stone into water. And then think how the ripples move out. When you make a call on a phone or when you send a text... That, that that ripple, that wave, those radio waves, they hit a base station that's near you. It's a big mast that takes the message and then beams it out again over a much longer distance until it hits another mast that's near someone you want to call. Just think of how big that scale is and how quickly it happens when you want to make a phone call. The waves move at the speed of light. And, well, phones are made with various little parts, like the display, the circuit board, the battery, the microphone, the loudspeaker, and some like incredible metals are used. Copper is used for the wires. Aluminium is usually used to shield your phone. Palladium is used for the individual components, the little bits that make it. Silver is used to conduct electricity in there. Cobalt's used. Tantalium, tin. Gallium, indium, so many different materials and metals are made to use a phone so you can talk to someone half a world away. It blows my mind and I'm very thankful for that question, Kyle. Thanks for sending it over to me. If you have got a question for next week, I'd love to hear your voice. So you can be a star of the show. Get out the free Fun Kids app or get to funkidslive.com, find the Science Weekly page there and record a message. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, one of the world's most recognisable scientists has got a brand new book out. It's called The Story of Science. Very grand. It's by Professor Robert Winston, who I think has done more things than would fill Wikipedia and joins us now. Professor Winston, thank you so much for being there. Oh, pleasure to be here. Now, I have to ask you, of all the different experiments, the different studies, everything that you've done in the world of science through the years, what's the one thing that you've been most surprised to find out? Surprised by? I think I'm always surprised when anything works. Basically, most of the experiments that I do fail. One of the messages about science is that don't be frightened of failure because actually your experiments need to fail because you need to work out why it's not working and that actually makes it a better experiment when you do work it out. So ultimately, when you've published a scientific paper, I suppose I've published lots of those, hundreds of them, you are actually publishing a new failure and then showing how you overcame the failure. So I don't think there's any one particular thing which has surprised me more. I suppose some of the work we did on our genes in eggs was pretty uh, surprising. And for example, one of the things I think, which I was talking about in a lecture in Birmingham yesterday to adults, was how we found that the egg starts to age from the moment it's fertilized. So actually, the aging process doesn't start just when you get gray hair and get wrinkles like me. It starts actually before you're born, two days, three days after the egg's fertilized. 
So, and we can see that under the microscope, and it's fascinating, really. Well, listen, the new book is The Story of Science, which sounds very grand. It's a massive story. How did you know where to begin? And I came to the conclusion that the most important thing that we ever did, the first experiment that I thought really changed the world. So I chose the stone hand axe as my first piece of science because that was about two million years ago. Roughly speaking, our ancestors, before we were properly human, started to pick up stones and then model them to make axes and to make knives, to make very crude instruments at first. And it took over a million years to improve them. But with those instruments, we actually changed our diet and we changed our hands. Two things were really important. We changed our diet, which ended up with far more protein in it because we were able to take, take the flesh off the bones of animals in, you know, in desert places and in the, you know, and in the savannah in Africa. And secondly, we also were able to start manipulating things with our fingers. We actually, we developed the finger and thumb, the opposable finger and thumb, which are part of that making models. That actually is the most important tool we have. We can really press very, very hard, almost to the point of pain, and we can actually press very, very gently, like a delicate feather touch. So the human has that immense capability which came out of developing these tools. And I think thirdly, of course, communication with each other, because we started to hunt together, and that was to protect each other. So I think those three things resulted from the stone hand axe. But it's only really recently, it's only in the last... 50,000 years that we've really improved that, that stone hand axe to make a really good knife. But if you look at museums, you can see how amazing that technology has improved, that people were actually able to shave with the knives they made eventually in a way that, you know, you wouldn't probably do as well with a Wilkinson Shulet blade. <laughs> so it's interesting to consider that. Even more recently than that, I wonder, say in the last 200 years, there has been so much discovery and so much invention from the combustion engine to different vaccines and now computers and the internet. And I, I wonder if in your research and your discovery, you found a really important science invention something that we have completely overlooked that should get more credit than it's that does robert well the the obvious ones in the book which is the invention of soap 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 changed the world soap actually is a very important science it's the ability to make an acceptable alkali uh, not an acid solution which actually will wash fats off and get rid of grease So we've been using soap for about 2,000 years, and the first soaps were made out of natural materials, mostly leaves of particular trees in North Africa. But now, of course, soap is universal. And, of course, we don't think about soap being important, but if you think about it, during the pandemic, soap was one of the most important things we had because we were able to kill the bacteria on our hands and therefore prevent the spread of infection. Well, listen, it's so good to hear about some adventures, and I know there's loads more in this new book. It's The Story of Science by Professor Robert Winston. Thank you for joining us. For this week's Dangerous Dan, where we look at some of the most mean, weird and strange things in the universe, we are travelling back through time over a million years ago to talk about Xenosmilus. Xenosmilus is an ancient extinct, huge type of sabre-toothed cat. Fossils of the creature were discovered in 2001, so 22 years ago, not too long, in Florida, over in the USA. And it was big, this creature. It could reach about two metres long. It was as big as a lion with a thick, muscular body. It weighed 300 kilograms, which is chunky. It had shorter arms and legs with a thick, powerful neck. 
Its real key to being deadly was its teeth. Most big cats have long fangs that look like blades. Xenosmilus had shorter, thicker teeth, and they were jagged. The edges were sharp, which meant they could rip through flesh. Now get this, it's disgusting but amazing. Most cats today, they will strangle their prey, using their arms to squeeze down on the neck to push out all the air so it can get its dinner. Xenosmilus, it would take a bite with its brutal teeth, tearing a huge chunk out of the prey, and then it would let it bleed to death. Oh, how creepy is that? It's a very disgusting, messy way to get your dinner, and it means that Xenosmilus from millions of years ago goes straight onto our Dangerous Stand list. Right, before we finish this week, let's check in with our microbe friends, Benny and Mal. Uh, normal microbes live in your body, in your gut. They break down food. These microbes, they travel around the world and they make big decisions and they look at important stuff with ethical dilemmas. An ethical dilemma is a choice that we need to make that's both good and bad and it's difficult to figure out what's right. This time, it's all about medical trials. Benny and Mal's Demanding Dilemmas, with support from Nuffield Council on Bioethics. All right, Benny and Mal here. Yeah. We're teasing out a few demanding dilemmas for you. Big word, isn't it? Dilemma. It just means having a difficult choice to make. You choose. Like spending your birthday money on a new computer game or some cool new trousers. Good example, Mal. And you might not know this, but an ethical dilemma is a difficult choice about the right thing to do. You choose. Like if a friend asked you if they look nice in their new trousers and they look terrible, maybe a little white lie wouldn't be so bad. And here's where it gets really interesting. Some ethical dilemmas are about difficult choices we have to make about how we use science. You choose dilemmas about science. Not sure I get what you mean there. Science is all around us. It helps us do a massive amount of stuff. But just because we can do some things, well, that doesn't mean we should. Yeah, it might be easier to fib to your friend and say they look nice. But then when everyone is pointing and laughing, they be like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> all right, calm down, mate. You choose. And I'm getting very close to deleting that sound effect now. So, let's talk about clinical trials. Order, order. Not that sort of trial. We're not in court. Oh. That's more like it. It's very likely that you have had some medicine, maybe on a spoon or as a tablet. It's also quite possible that you've had treatment in a hospital or surgery for an illness or injury. Doctors and scientists are always trying to make treatments better, so they run clinical trials, research projects carried out in places like hospitals or clinics, where the main aim is to obtain knowledge that will help improve the healthcare of adults and children. Yep, they're like tests to make better medicines and create better treatments. All people, adults and children, can help by being tested on. Hang on, back up, mate. So you're telling me that they have clinical trials for children? That's right. Children are very different to adults. Shorter, for starters. Well, yeah. But the medicines and treatments that children get are often very different to those that the adults receive. So, of course, they need to test medicines and treatment on children. I don't think I like the idea of anyone being tested on, especially not kids. Kids aren't guinea pigs. <laughs> It might be a bit of a weird thought to be tested on, 
But the clinical trials are often, well, pretty boring. It could involve answering some questions in general about how you're feeling. Other tests might involve things like blood tests or scans, or even trying new medicines out. What if the parent wants the kid to be part of the clinical trial, but the kid isn't keen? Good point. Parents often make important decisions for their children. But yeah, shouldn't children have a say about what happens to their bodies? That's a fair consideration. Of course, it could work the other way. What, like you mean the kid wants to take part in the research, but the parents say no? Could happen. Doctors can't force anyone to take part in a trial. Clearly, where kids are concerned, parents will have a say too. It's likely they'll try to find ways to encourage people to take part, even offering rewards like money. And don't forget, people taking part in trials are helping scientists discover all sorts of new health treatments. Well, if I'm going to get loads of super health benefits from the trial, sign me up. Sounds good. Hold on, mate. You're jumping the gun. There might be health benefits achieved as part of the trial. But it might be other people in the future who get them. The trial could, well, basically do nothing for you. So I could be taking a pill or having scans or answering questions all for nothing. Hey, what if the trial actually harmed me? Sounds risky. Well, doctors are trying to help people, not harm them. But with some tests, it might be hard to say for sure what would happen. One of the questions a person might ask before joining a test might be about the risks. But if it led to a medicine that helps others, some people might think a bit of risk is worth it. I suppose. Exactly. So, as you can see, it's a right old dilemma. A demanding dilemma. A positive brain-busting bioethical bamboozler. I wonder which side you'll agree with. YouTube's Benny and Mal's demanding dilemmas, with support from Nuffield Council on bioethics. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If there's anything science you want answered on the podcast next week, please do leave a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!